it's about not taking silly risks, but taking risks that you know are achievable. They may be a stretch and they may be uncertainty, but you have developed that individual enough to be confident of their boundaries and they will say, nope, I, I can't do that. I just don't know how to do that. Or they will say, yep, I can do that, but I might need you to provide me with X, Y, and Z. And that's why you want maverick behavior. You want someone who's flexible. And I know that the buzzword is all about being agile. Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day. Tune in to discover what it takes to truly develop within human resources as we delve deep into growth, engagement, and leadership strategies that can unlock the hidden potential within your business, which we hope will really empower your workforce towards fantastic organizational success. Hey guys, so we have made a few changes to the HR L&D podcast, which we hope you like. I know I do. Uh, I would love to to know what you think of it. So if you can email me at nick at jgarecruitment.com, I would love to get your feedback. Similarly, if you would like to be featured on a future episode, or indeed, if you have a specific HR or L&D issue you would like this podcast to tackle, then please do let me know. In return, I would also love it if you could just take an insy-wincy minute of your time at the end of this recording to like it review it and if you can share it with all of your hr and lnd friends so we can make sure that together nobody ever misses a future episode that would be hugely appreciated right without further ado let me introduce you to this exciting episode as i've had the opportunity to sit down with judith germain who is founder of the leadership coaching business the maverick paradox now judith is a fellow of the cipd she's a leading authority on mavericks and she is an author leadership consultant mentor and podcaster since 2005 judith has been working specifically with leadership teams that want to become more maverick in nature now the maverick paradox builds and accelerates the development so she uses a lot of the strategies from her book which she wrote called the maverick paradox the secret power behind successful leaders. So I'm going to be exploring more about that in this podcast. Judith works with companies that essentially need a maverick approach to their leadership because I guess what they have at the moment just isn't working. So I expect, like me, you want to find out a lot more about what this maverick approach entails. So let's go straight to it. Let's find out and enjoy the interview. I'm joined today by Jude. Jude, how are you doing? I'm doing really good, Nick. Hi. So I'm excited to be joined by Jude because she's a fellow of the CIPD and a leading authority on Mavericks. She's also an author, a leadership consultant, mentor and podcaster. So I'm really excited. Now, she is also uh, author of the book, The Maverick Paradox. And we're going to discover a lot more about that a little bit later on in the podcast. L&D Podcast Discovery, Questions to Set the Scene. I wondered if we could first, Jude, if you could just tell us all what a maverick is. I've been calling mavericks um, willfully independent people since about 2005. Um, and, as a, and as you said about my book, I went into a bit more detail there. But a maverick is someone who's willfully independent. They have certain traits like they are wilf- they have willful intentions, so everything they do is because they've chosen to do it. Uh, they have an honest belief in something. So people sometimes think, oh, they're just really challenging. It's like they honestly believe they're right, so they're really going to go on with that. Um, they're always influential. Now you have extreme mavericks who are manipulative, 
And then you've got socialized mavericks who are more influential, more in the influence side. So from a business perspective, because obviously you're working with loads of businesses, you're trying to develop mavericks within businesses, very much of a leadership standpoint. You know, why, do, why are businesses coming to you for that with your maverick methodologies to, and why should they really consider developing more maverick behavior in their businesses as well? Tell me a little bit more about your work with businesses from a maverick perspective. Yes, because initially um, people were, how on earth could you want more mavericks in an organization? And I think what we're really looking for are more maverick behavior, more people who are willing to challenge to say, this isn't going right, or this is ethically wrong. Um, someone that you can trust and someone has integrity. And I found that over the years, what we have now, we have a lot of millennials, Generation Z, who are actually behaving a lot more like mavericks and organizations that don't know how to deal with them. They're at loss. And if you think, if you think that next year they're going to be 50% of the workforce will be millennials. You know, the, the eldest generation Z are about 24. <laughs> They've come in with much more maverick viewpoint. Um, they're much more challenging. They, they will walk quicker than previous generations. And organizations are not set up for this. They're not set up for um, giving devolved responsibility to people who would have been considered in the past um, a low hierarchical rank. And those individuals require a certain amount of training and a certain amount of um, understanding to work with. So at what point would a business... I guess, come to this realization that they're perhaps struggling to bridge the, the generation gap between, as you say, the baby boomers, Generation X, millennials, Generation Z. You know, when, will, when is it they come to you to say, actually, I, I think we've got a problem here. We need, we need someone who can help, help bridge these gaps for us, help us prepare for Generation Z and, and Alpha. Um, and they would obviously reach out to you at that point. But what is it that usually brings businesses to that, that point in realization? And then what can you do to help them bridge that gap? Wow, thank you. That's a really, that's a really involved question. Um, I think quite often there's been a big change that's happened. So either they've cut some layers out in the hierarchy, they've merged companies together, they've brought in new teams, um, and then the individuals are in a situation where they're unable to cope. They're unable to deal with change happening at the rate that it's happening at, and they are requiring more from their leadership. So quite often, the organization is perplexed because the leadership isn't working, the one that they have, and that the status quo is no longer comfortable, or they might have a dysfunctional or high-potential team, and they don't know how they need to guarantee that the change initiative is actually going to succeed. That's kind of a, a, a theoretical um, viewpoint of where people, a business might come to you and say, okay, we, we recognize we've got this problem. What are the kind of tools that you'd put into place to help bridge that gap? What are the kind of uh, practices that you've been able to implement that really help businesses? One organization came to me because they had what I would have traditionally called um, a junior management team, but their responsibilities are probably what you would have in the old days, more middle management. But they were quite junior. They're all millennials. So the eldest was about 40 and the youngest was about 26. And what happened was as a, they never got together as a team, so they had um, quite important functions that never considered each other when they were doing their work. So I was asked to come in and design a leadership development program that would provide them with senior management thinking skills. 
and the ability to work as a senior manager would do, but at this much lower level. Um, so we looked at so the things like um, strategic thinking, creative thinking. They specifically wanted me to do a maverick leadership program, so get them to think in a more challenging way, who would be able to bypass bureaucracy, be able to network um, better, and to change the way that they saw change. So they would be excited with change. And what was interesting in this organisation, they had a very they had a new maverick CEO. And of course, the whole organisation was shuddering because they didn't know how to deal with him because he was like, right, we're in here now, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and we're going to move around. And they were like, whoa, this organisation's 100 years old, we don't move that quick. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Wow. That was a really, a really interesting uh, dichotomy when you're, you're in a business like that, that is perhaps, you know, as old fashioned, I don't use that word, but maybe more traditional that come, you know, with a, with a maverick CEO that wants to change ideas. I can imagine that. Uh, you're met with some resistance. So does that is do you find that your fellowship with the CIPD does that help with some of that HR perspective kind of approach which you're going to need when you're dealing with any kind of transformational change program and when you're dealing with leaders? Do you find that being a fellow of the CIPD has helped you? I think it's been helpful in terms of credibility because I have a very maverick approach. And whilst uh, when I was a HRD, I was a very mavericky one. And I think in terms of having the have been a fellow and have been in a fellow for so long for so many years provides some sort of comfort that, that there is actual rigor behind what I'm doing but also I'm not a traditional HR person so I always start from the from what is it that you want to achieve and I'll design something to give the end result and I'll spend a lot of time really digging into not I want a leadership program but what is it supposed to achieve How's it going to get there? What's the culture like? What do you need to embed? And then I will create something that will establish that. And I think for those where qualifications are important, I think they feel comforted that I have been a fellow, gosh, for over a decade. It makes me feel really old now. Um, so I'm thinking, gosh, I'm old. Um, who, who's actually able to say, yes, whatever, whatever I design will not upset your HR department because I get HR. And I get the fundamentals because I, I think I remember when I used to be in HR and you'd and say a company would hire somebody to come in to do something and you didn't agree with their principles or the rigor or the background. So then you'd have a management team all shouting off about some new thing and you're just like, yeah, but that's rubbish. <laughs> 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 then you'd have to get them to unlearn it. Sure. And actually, you know what, within HR circles anyway, uh, and particularly when you're dealing with change, credibility can be important. I think, you know, knowing you've got that background, you've got that credibility, it allows you, I guess, to, to hopefully to make some of those maverick ideas a little bit more implementable if people understand as a background behind behind the method. I, I would love to know a little, if, you, if there's any stories you've got about how you're able to demonstrate your uh, maverick uh, sort of uh, techniques like when you're working as an hrd you said you were quite a maverick hrd i would love to hear them are there any examples of i guess how you operate as an hrd that may have gone a little, a little bit against the norm i i was very much like an ops director in so much that i understood that whichever industry or whichever business was i made a point of understanding how it worked inside out um, and I mean the detail of how it worked as well as the industry so i would be i would be that person who would um, walk into marketing and we'll say how's things going and then we'll discuss the marketing campaign and why it isn't working and I'll give suggestions on what what might work or I would or I would be um, in ops going yeah 
you know, sales can't produce, you know, because I'd know and I'd be. So when people talk about um, being a business partner in HR, often what it means is HR brings its functional knowledge. And when it sits with the business, it discusses its functional knowledge. Whereas my mavericism would be I would train, you know, I used to call them a, a responsible adult into the department who would do the functional HR stuff which would then allow me to really partner with the business and sit down. So it wouldn't be unusual um, that if the ops director wasn't in, I would run um, their part of the business for the, the holiday or something like that. You know, it, would, it wouldn't be unusual. And that was quite mavericky because um, HR traditionally wasn't doing that. That makes total sense. Well, let's bring it back to uh, to leadership. Um, obviously, the the your your programs are are a, a leadership methodology, so to speak. So, how does your paradox uh, method differ from from other models? I find that leadership generally tends to be a product of the environment that it's in. Okay, so you have like extra center leadership. It's for a certain time period, for example, situation leadership. It's a time period. All the things you know. All the leadership theories over time has been to fit an, an environmental situation, whereas um, maverick leadership methodology is about who you are as an individual and what you do. So it recognises that as an individual, you need to be one that is not just influential, but one that is trusted, for example. So we look at how do you garner trust um, how do you deliver trust? We look at um, the essence of driven leadership. So that's the determination that you have, the reputation you have, the influence, how versatile you are, how you execute, because so much so much leadership isn't about execution and how you narrate something. So if you if you need people to go there or do something, it requires a certain amount of narration. So you need to be able to, I say that, I say what mavericks do is they always want to do revolution, but good mavericks, socialized mavericks can take the revolution and explain it so it's an evolution for everybody else. Maverick driven leadership really is that kind of seven point plan, but it's all it all works not on a consecutive basis, but at the same time concurrently. If, if I'm a learning development uh, director or professional or even a, an HRD listening, what could you do to help my organization? Where where could I get you involved in my business to to improve the leaders that I have perhaps working within my within my operation? Oh, probably two or three main areas. I think one would be if the leadership team is just not creating a great um, orchestra. So, you know, if the team is unbalanced, because there are distinct personalities in it. There are some functions that, that are overweight in the sense of, say, sometimes organisations run from finance, for example, so they're always looking behind. Or they run from marketing, they're always looking ahead. You know? But they're not balanced, they're not looking at what's required. So if you've got a leadership team that is employing disengaged staff or going through rapid change, then I could help. Um, solve the issue and it sounds a bit vague it's because I guess it's because I work backwards so sometimes the solution is um, consultancy sometimes it's training 
sometimes it's mentoring. I'll give you an example, actually. I had a, I had um, an MD, a CEO that I'd worked with in different organisations over the years. And one day we were just chatting, just you know, catch up chat. And he said, oh, we've just bought this company in, in Europe and the owners run the business, still, are still there. But we bought the business, but they're still there, and we want them to be there. But they're just, you know, they're just not coming on board with what we need. And so we talked about it, and I said, "Oh, what it sounds to me is that you could probably do with some consultancy to get them to understand the competition, and how things are working, and then probably some training around leadership because the leadership isn't working as well as you would like." And he said, "Fine, okay. How long do you need?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" Because I wasn't pitching; we were just chatting. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and he just said, well, can you go and sort that out then? And I was like, well, yeah, I guess so. Should I tell you what I'm going to do? And he said, no, I'm, uh, you know, I'm sure it'll be fine. And I was like, seriously? And he's like, yeah. Which kind of shocked me because I wasn't expecting that. But it meant that the solution that was provided, because once I found out some really good answering questions, real issues of what they wanted, ended up spending a day or so on proper consultancy where we looked at the marketplace we, you know we did a bit of you know a boston matrix and we worked all the marketing the competitors and this is where we need to be and here's where we've come from why did part work in the past and then we looked at right now how do you take this team that you have to solve this problem bearing in mind i didn't know exactly what problems it was that we were going to come up with and i think it goes to what i was saying about reputation so this other ceo knew me as some because they'd only hired me before for training various different types of training leadership teams and boards and stuff like that he didn't know I could he didn't know me as a consultant or anything else but in the conversation he said you know he sounds like you know what you're talking about so I'll just leave you to get on with that I would imagine a maverick takes risks anyway right so a maverick the maverick personality presumably whether you'd always been a trainer or not if you offered an opportunity in consulting I'm guessing from listening to this uh, as we go along it's something you'd probably have, uh, have grabbed with both hands anyway yeah and it probably helped that he also was a socialized maverick so he asked me a few key questions he threw some like you know some theories in to see whether I'd know what he was talking about um and I did so it was like yeah okay um but yes and I think it's that you asked before about why would organisations want more maverick behaviour? It's about not taking silly risks, but taking risks that you know are achievable. They may be a stretch and they may be uncertainty, but you have developed that individual enough to be confident of their boundaries and they will say, nope, I, I can't do that. I just don't know how to do that. Or they will say, yep, I can do that, but I might need you to provide me with X, Y, and Z. And that's why you want maverick behavior. You want someone who's flexible. And I know that the buzzword is all about being agile. And that's what it is. If you've got a bunch of employees who think like mavericks and work like mavericks, then they'll be very agile. Great. Well, we're going to find out a bit more about the uh, the Maverick Paradox and your book, uh, Maverick Paradox, The Secret Power Behind Successful Leaders, in part two. Before we do, we're going to find out a bit more about yourself, uh, Jude, if we can. Time to find out more about you. So who are the two people who have been the most influential to you in your career to date? Ah, I do actually know who they are. And I had the pleasure of telling one of them um, a few years down the line, which was fantastic. Uh, The first person was um, my first real boss. He was a maverick. and And he was influential because 
I joined an insurance company again, you know, hundreds of years old insurance company, very traditional. And I'd um, come on as a as an admin person. And I remember thinking, I'm going to do this for long because this job looks really easy. So I discovered that if you did if you did the work really quickly and you started moaning that you've done all the work, people started to teach you how to underwrite. So I was a commercial underwriter to begin with. And within about six months, I was given um, five million underwriting limit, which was unheard of because, you know, I was 17 and normally you're a manager and you'd been there like 15 years. But my boss was a maverick, and you could say, yeah, just keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah, you're doing all right, keep going. And then I remember one day he said to me, um, you know what, I'm never going to promote you. And I was horrified. I said, I'm your best. Because I, I must admit, I'm 17, okay, so a little bit unsophisticated. And I said, I'm your best I'm your best employee. What are you on about? And he said, yeah, you are, but I can't be going through this anymore. And I said, what are you on about? And he said, well, because you upset people. He goes, you're fine, then you upset someone, and then – I had to listen to them crying for two days and I've had enough of it. And I said, Pete, but they loved me after the two days. It's okay. I can always sort it out. And he said, yeah, I know. But in that two days, I have to deal with all the crying. And I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was really shocked. Because what it was is like, because Mavericks are really brutally honest. And at the time, I hadn't learned to be more tactful. So if somebody said, am I good at my job? And I thought they weren't, I'd say, no, you're rubbish. And I couldn't understand why they'd get upset. Because if someone said that to me, I'd go, oh, really? What do I need to, you know, I wouldn't be upset. I'd be like, what do I need to improve? So, you know, I was really blunt, really, really honest, but really, really blunt. And I didn't know it was hurtful because it wouldn't have hurted me at that time. So, yeah, so he, so he was very influential because when he said that and I respected him, I thought, gosh, if he's saying that, I really need to change. Um, and being the maverick, rather than doing a traditional learning, I went and looked. I said to myself, how do I get what I want without upsetting people? So then I went and studied things like persuasion and influence. And I, before I even looked at leadership, I went like transactional analysis and body language. And I went all around the, the soft skills areas before training up on the other side. So so that was good when I was 17. And it was a great lesson to learn when you're only 17. I'm meeting many mavericks now who are 50 who haven't learned that lesson. Um, and, the, and the second person uh, was funny enough in the same organisation and, again, another socialised maverick. And what happened, the insurance company, it was about the time that Direct Line had entered the market, which meant they completely changed the way insurance worked. So rather than having specialists, you had this phone people up, talk to them on the phone, and they would give you a quote. It was, like, completely different. So the insurance company I was in decided to go the direct line way. So they was taking, getting rid of all the specialists and putting them into call centres. Anyway, so I was so I was brought up into head office, and I was hanging around at the lift to go to lunch. And this guy, you know, I recognised him, seen him. There was this guy, and he was probably about 10, 15 years older than me, and he said, what do you think? of this new idea. I hadn't realised he's one of the architects of it or that he was a director of the company. I had no idea. Um, and I said, I think it's a bit rubbish. <laughs> he said, why? Well, I said, it's not, it's not working. And he said, do you believe you can fix it? And I said, yes, I believe I can. And he said, okay, I'll give you a month to go off and do some research, come back and provide a report for the board and we'll see what, and see what you've got to say. So I was like, sure. You know, because again, I was only about like I don't know, twenty-one or twenty-two at that time. 
So I remember going to my boss and saying, I'm not doing this anymore because I met so-and-so in the hallway and I'm doing this project now, which of course he didn't believe me. So I phoned him up and then they said, yeah, and he went, oh, okay. And that's what I did. I went off, did some research. I got some people from different parts because we had different people from different parts of the country all coming into the head office. So I had different people. I got together a team. We did all this stuff. We did the report. And the organisation completely changed the way it ran. But as a maverick, it was like, well, of course, you know, I came up with a better solution. So, of course, they would change. Did not understand in the, you know, how radical that itself really was. Because you had the, they gave those opportunities so early in your career and that advice so early in your career, do you think they really um, set you on your journeys to where you are now? Like without those two big influences, perhaps you'd have taken a different path? Or do you think your path is inevitable? You just maybe got there a little bit quicker due to the opportunities they gave you? Um, it's a really good question because I think your first real job really sets the pace, I think, of where you're going. And I'd always had responsibility from a very early age. But I think... Certainly, I think, yeah, I, I'm sure my life would be extremely different because the first guy taught me to consider other people. So I would I would never have been an extreme maverick, but I certainly wasn't a socialised one either. And I would just thought that if you tell people the truth, then that's good. Never thought that it, the truth can hurt people. Had never even considered it. I think a maverick needs to hear something from people they respect and people that they see who are more intelligent or equally intelligent. So I think if somebody else had told me, I would have ignored them. So, you know, so I think I might well have been a very different person. Um, and I think the second guy, he enabled me to demonstrate a different way of thinking and allow me not to feel constrained into the insurance industry. So because I had done that, I then ended up being seconded into other head office departments where I were, for example, Given advice to people who used to do a different type of insurance than I've than I've even trained at, who were thirty years older than me, and me saying, "I've read it all. I don't agree. This is what we're doing." And you know, so to have that kind of senior management responsibility at the age of twenty twenty one, it's just, I think, I think that in itself kind of gives you the confidence that the next job. You know, because my next job from that insurance company was in HR, but as a HR manager with no experience in HR whatsoever and no, and only an associateship of the CIPD at that point. Sure. But it's, it sounds to me like you've got a lot of confidence in your own abilities and you, you know, rather than shirk from it, you, you embrace it and go for it. And, um, you know, credit to you because, you know, a lot of people would shy away from those kind of opportunities or they'd miss them without even knowing they've been presented. And, um, you know, how many opportunities that pass people by, they don't even know an opportunity, is, you know, as it presented itself. But actually, if you say yes a little bit more, then, you you know, it's amazing what doors can be open. It sounds like you've been very successful as a result, which is which is fantastic. And and have delivered as well, which is, um you know, kudos, kudos to yourself. So outside of your career trajectory, I guess, are there any sort of um, major resources that have helped you on your journey so not necessarily given to you or supported you or opportunities provided by managers or people but are there any particular books that you've really you know, been inspired by or is there music or any other kind of resource that's really helped pull you through well your questions are pretty cool aren't they um, <laughs> i i think i'm pathologically curious so i am always learning always interested always reading always finding out what's happening always you know um and i think that that has helped enormously because 
I don't look just, you know, I don't just go, right, I'm a HR person, I look at HR leadership. But yeah, I'm, I look at everything. So it's really good because then connections are very easy to make because, you know, you saw this on the news, and then that linked to that and that linked to that. I think some of the some of the things that made me really change in terms of leadership, there was a book written years ago, I think he's changed the title of the book now, by John Maxwell that said something like leadership is influence or something like that. And he's got this like quote where he says, um, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And that kind of that would probably became the real starting point of me going, leadership, influence, I get it. And let's and work from that way, completely changed the way I looked at leadership. I remember thinking, ah, oh, that's different. Um, Simon Sinek's stuff um, made, made me go, uh-huh. Because I remember, I remember looking at his stuff in 2005 before people saw him as overnight success in 2015, um, <laughs> which I think is quite funny. But, yeah, I thought his stuff is quite good because it moves – leadership onto the individual and he also recognizes that leadership isn't something you do to people leadership is something that you are you know you are a leader you're not a title you know and I I like that um I think I got a bit of an aha moment way back in the early days looking at transactional analyses I know it sounds really bored but understanding how people play games with each other and how people put themselves into victimhood or how people um, can bully you and put you know and put you in that scenario so I think it it certainly helped in being objective because when you're listening to what people are saying or observing what's going on you can see what kind of drama is being played out and you're not emotionally attached to it so I think it allows you to be very objective and then you can honestly say I see what you're saying and I think this is what you want. Is that right? And then going to for that rather than the emotion and the argument and the pity me that sometimes people play. And because Mavericks don't have a lot of time for pity me's as it is. So it's quite good to understand, you know, to be able to go, I'm not going to get stressed about that. I'm quite keen to ask you this next question because I think it's, um, well, as a maverick, I've quite seen some answer for me. If you could be given any superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, oh let's see. The first thing that popped out into my head, and I was just trying to censor myself, but the first thing that popped up was being invisible. <laughs> That's cool. Anything goes, right? And I was thinking, yeah, and I was thinking, why? Why? I'm trying to think, why? But I don't know. Maybe it's just because if you're invisible, then you can see how things really are rather than what things people think they are. I like this question because it, you get two different kinds of types of responses. You get the responses where people either try and go deep and meaningful and think, what can I use for good? Or you get the other response, which is more like the first thing that comes into your head, like I want to shoot ice from my hands and people say, why? And I just think it'd be cool. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it always gives an interesting, uh, interesting response. I like asking it. My last question before we jump back into uh, finding out more about your book, which I'm really keen to do. Uh, if you could invite three people to a dinner party, who would they be and why? Gosh. You didn't tell me these questions were going to be so tough. <laughs> this is a little tough, yeah, tough to narrow down, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think one of the Obamas, I don't think I'd be overly fussed in particular which one, whether it be Barack or Michelle, I think they, they'll both have an interesting conversation. Stephen King, 
I love the way his mind works. Um, it sounds really silly. I was going to say Einstein. I think those three, I think, I think a really interesting conversation would come. I think, because like Einstein, because <laughs> Einstein, they feel like he had Asperger's, didn't they? So I think he would think. So obviously he's intelligent, but I think he would see things in quite a different way. And then I think the Obamas are very kind of like the socialized mavericks. They like to all about change, but it's all about the greater good, and they're quite objective. Um, and Stephen King, I did actually. Well, enough, meet Stephen King years ago. I, I, I really love his work. And um, I waited up for hours to meet him at some book signing in London. So I think I was number six in the queue. I think it was there at five o'clock in the morning or something silly. Um, and because we were really early, when we went to meet him, we actually had quite a lot. Each person had a really long conversation before the bookshop said, hang on a second, Mr. King, you've got like thousands of people outside, you can't talk for 20 minutes for each person. Um, and I remember going to, listening to him in the Royal Albert Hall where he did a reading and he kind of made up this story, and I can't remember it, but I remember it was something like he'd made up this story where all these things had happened on, when you got onto the tube. And when he finished, everyone sat there and nobody wanted to get up. It, I always remember that, it's like everyone's going, I'm too scared to go to the tube. <laughs> They're too frightened. And people were going, which tube station are you going to? Can I walk back with you? Because everyone was just, it actually scared us all silly. And then he was like, okay, I'm off now. And we we're like, right, we're just sitting here now because we're too frightened to get out. <laughs> Some people just have an aura and they have an authority and a gravitas to hold a room. It's, it's amazing. Um, I'd love to have been in that world at Hall listening to Stephen King. It must have been a phenomenal experience. Well, it kind of leads us in nicely. We're talking about one author to another. Let's talk about yourself and your own book, uh, The Maverick Paradox, The Secret Power Behind Successful Leaders. Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. The L&D Podcast, final questions to help listeners engage, learn and perform. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about what this book is all about? Well, this, this book looks at how leadership works and I looked at uh, Mavericks and thought, Mavericks are fantastic leaders, even the extreme ones, except for they don't lead for the good. Um, and how, how does a socialised Maverick manage to lead really well? So I looked at the, the essence of the Mavericks and the, the, the different types and the different types of people. Um, I looked at their attributes um, the strategies that you use and also things like utilizing power. So I was thinking to myself, if I had to train someone to be a leader, what are the key things I'd want them to know? So I'd want them to know how to utilize power. I'd want them, I'd want them to have certain capabilities. Um, I'd want them to be able to work for the greater good. And I want them to be able to think in a way, um, that enables change to happen and change to happen well. So that's what the 
the book's about really is what is it and I think what the power behind leaders I think is that paradox and the paradox of the maverick is the maverick gets hired to put in rapid change you know something's not working bring the maverick in get them to fix it problem is especially if the maverick has done this a number of times is they do it very very quickly and once they fix the problems they hide for they go around like little drones trying to find other problems to fix but the problem with that is that you're now walking to other people's departments and go you know why this is not selling you know why this isn't working (laughs) and that upsets people and then people start to pull away the power so you hire the maverick to fix it and then eventually you start to dismantle what they've put up to take the power away from the maverick and it can cause a lot of problems Mm. you talk as well about in your book about five maverick attributes that all uh, in quotation marks, natural leaders would possess. So, what would those, what would those five maverick attributes be? Um, I think we briefly talked about it before. One of them would be um, the willful intention. So, every if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it regardless of how you feel about it. <laughs> um, have an honest belief. So when a when a so-fast maverick is arguing about something because they honestly believe it to be true. They're not playing games. So quite often, um, socialised mavericks will be a devil's advocate. But they're doing it to to bring out challenge, to be sure. Is this really, we're going for A or we're going for B? Making sure the decision is right and everyone's certain, not because they don't like you and want problems. And they will keep going to the point of losing their job if they honestly believe they are right. They have quite a lot of integrity there. Um, Influential, they can get almost anybody to move knowledgeable and when i say knowledgeable i mean this is beyond the knowledge that you would get um in a department so you'd expect them to be an expert in whatever field they're supposed to be doing and then what a maverick then does or what a good leader would then do is say what are the things that impact on this so let's say hr you have hr so the person's in the hr role and they know hr so they're good at hr you know they're good strategists, they, you know, everything you expect them to do in HR. And then they look and they say, right, okay, what impacts on HR or what does HR impact on? Okay, it could be on ops. So what is it that we need to do for ops? And then they'll become an expert in operations. And they go, okay, then they'll become an expert in something else. And then they can make connections. So they become knowledgeable, not just in a wide area, but also deep in those areas. All and the last two really is all mavericks are execution and output driven, which basically means if it isn't going to be done, it's no point in doing it. So, yeah, they're not a talking shop. So if, if you have hired a maverick, they want to complete the task that's been set. Um, and they are success, success, uh, success driven. So they want to be not necessarily personally successful. They want the project or whatever it is you're doing to be successful, which is why they can be quite challenging. Is there someone that you would highlight as being a particularly good example that perhaps all our listeners can relate to of who would you know have all of these five attributes that perhaps in the public eye they will go ah now I get it that that's a really successful strong maverick social maverick leader if you like that you would you know that people may aspire to be similar to is someone out there that kind of ticks all those boxes in the in, in the public public eye Yeah I think um I would certainly would have said Richard Branson in the past, in the sense that um, he ticks all those boxes 
And while some of his endeavours would have not have been successful, they drove success in the, in the next endeavour because he learnt from it. But I think it would be certainly fair to say that um, President Obama would be a socialised maverick in the sense that he would be looking at those things in the constraints that obviously he had. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, look, I'll lose us to the last two questions before we open the L&D vaults. Uh, first is just a really simple one. There may be nothing to answer here, which is if I put yourself in uh, my shoes, and obviously you're an experienced podcaster yourself, Jude, so uh, put yourself in my shoes for a moment. What's the one question that uh, you would have asked yourself that I haven't asked you already? Why working with me enables an organisation to be successful? Great. So why then working with you would make an organisation be more successful? I think the answer there would be I'm always I always begin at first principles. So whenever an organization comes to somebody, they have a very defined idea as to what they want and what the solution's going to be. And I always dig much deeper than that to find out the entire picture and all the things that all the variables and things that hit. And then I design something, whatever the hybrid solution is, that hits all of that. And I embed certain themes. So if, for example, the organisation said there's a huge trust issue, people don't trust the managers or the staff are disengaged or the team is not a cohesive team. But regard, even if I'm not asked specifically to deal with that, I, I design through exercises or through consultancy to ensure that those end themes are embedded and brought out. So at the end of whatever it is, they become an organised, trusted team that enjoy working with each other, even though they are not specifically given modules or something in that area. So, And I think because of my experience, I've worked in a number of industries, in a number of roles, and I've led lots of departments other than HR, I'm very good at seeing the connection and saying, well, you know, like you've got a company that says, we can't schedule staff. And I'll say, well, if a, if a supermarket can schedule a 1,000 people 24-7, I'm sure you can schedule 30 people Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. You know? <laughs> or it's that kind of because you've done so much in so many different areas, you can bring in so much learning from other places. Fantastic. And last question before we open the L&D vault. What does HR mean to you? For me, right? <laughs> yes, like, what does HR mean to you? Like, HR for me is the hub of an organization that has no axe to bind, that is all about ensuring that success happens through the effective use of people. So I've always said HR to me is a bit much like a volleyball game. So you've got the HR is almost like the umpire that can see above the net. And you've got management on one side and you've got employees on the other side and they're playing volleyball. Sometimes you have to come down your stairs and pick up the ball from management and go, no. And you give it to the staff and you go, and other times you go to the staff and you go, no, <laughs> give it to them. You know, because you, it, it's that kind of ability to be 100% objective and put the, you know, the best interest of everything together. So it's almost like you hold all the stakeholder interests and I don't think HR can possibly succeed if it does not understand the business it, it is in. If you're HR in retail, understand retail. If you're HR in actually understand because how can you add anything to the 
senior management team if you don't understand what they have to do? Doesn't make any sense to me. Great way to finish uh, the question of the podcast. And of course, I will put links to the uh, the Maverick Paradox, the Secret Power and Successful Leaders book in the episode notes. So if you're interested in finding out more, check those out, click the link, and it'll take you straight through to the page where you can purchase a copy for yourself and read at your leisure. And I'll also put links in there as well to various other sites that, uh, that you know, if you want to check out what Jude's work, you can find them there. So we're going to open the L&D vault. Opening the L&D vault. In hindsight, Jude, what's one thing you know now that you wish you'd known when you began your career? <laughs> I think I would have avoided an awful lot of um, hurt for myself. I would have carried a lot less hurt if I understood that you can't care more for the organisation than the organisation cares itself. I think so. I think so. You know, certainly in it took many years to understand that even if there was a right solution and the company didn't want to do it, I couldn't kill myself over it. I used to spend a lot of time being very not hurt because they didn't listen to me, but like really hurt that things weren't working when they could have been working. Sure, no, I totally get that, particularly with where you are now. I mean, you would have probably seen these things earlier and quicker than perhaps other people would have done. Um, and I totally get that. I, I can I can 100% see why that would be something it, uh, that would frustrate at the time. What's the one common myth you often hear in the workplace in relation to leadership? Uh, and can you debunk it? Nobody needs development because they're all natural leaders, because they've managed people for years. It's, all, it's often the ones with the most amount of harassment claims against them that says that might not be. I can quite imagine. No, that's fair. That's cool. And last but not least, before we close the podcast, what is the one piece of advice you would give to someone embarking on a career in HR? Learn about business. So um, work out how business works. What does marketing departments do? How does finance work? What does IT do? Learn and learn about um, so learn about the business functions so that you can have a conversation about the business because you if the FD talk to you about profit and loss, make sure you understand what profit and loss is. And I think really understand how the dynamics of people, you know, how are people influenced? How what are the dynamics? You know, um, I remember in my younger stage after being told that I'd never be promoted, learning about things like um, team dynamics, the room dynamics, you know, what happens if you sit there? What happens if you say this? The importance of your words. I think it's, I think you should know, you should take as read, you should know HR because that's your job. You should know, you know, you should know the law and relations and all that, but know people. Why do people do what they do? How do you influence people? If you, if HR is ever going to sit on the board or sit on the senior team and really add value, then you need to understand what your presence is doing. Fantastic. Well, a great way to, to close the podcast. Well, look, before we finish, I'm going to quickly ask uh, yourself, Judy, if you can just let our listeners know where they can connect with you online. Are there any social sites or profiles or websites you'd like to highlight? Um, I'm on LinkedIn under Judith Germain. Yeah, I think I'm the only Judith Germain who's got that in the profile link. Um, I have a Facebook fan page also judith germain you can see a theme here um on twitter as <laughs> twitter i'm um 
Maverick Mastery and Instagram and pin interest is Maverick underscore Paradox. Fantastic. And if you want to find out more about Julia's work as well, you can go to www.maverickparadox.com where you'll find links to her podcast, her books and more materials as well. Well worth taking a look if you want to find out more about how you yourself can become a Maverick leader for the future. So fantastic. Uh, podcast. Thank you ever so much for joining me today, Judith. Absolute pleasure. Of course, if you are an HR or L&D professional listening to this podcast right now and you have an HR, L&D or HRIS related vacancy that you would love some specialist recruitment support with, please do get in touch with me. I'd love to help and show you what a great HR recruitment experience feels like. And you can contact me myself directly at nick at jarecruitment.com. Otherwise, thanks for listening, folks. Absolute pleasure. And I look forward to bringing you the next episode of the HR and podcast real soon. Thanks again, Jude. Thanks a lot, Nick. I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much for tuning into HR L&D Podcast with your host, Nick Day of JGA HR Recruitment. If you need help with a current HR, payroll or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.